Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Thursday, May 18th on the Just Baseball Show. That's Jack McMullen and I am Peter Apple. We're bringing on our managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein, to rip on him for how bad the Mets have been. And that was a fun segment. And then we're going to talk about Mike Trout at the tail end of this episode. But in the first part, Domingo Herman, certified scumbag, just got a 10-game suspension for... I don't even know if we could use the term allegedly. He got the suspension. So it is clear that he was cheating with the sticky stuff. This Toronto Blue Jays versus Yankee series has been one of the most entertaining all season. Weirdly enough, the Yankees are playing well, but there was cheating allegations against Aaron Judge, which of course no evidence has come out. But then evidence truly did come out when there was sticky stuff on Domingo Herman's pants. I'm, you know, I ripped him on social media and I see Yankee fans being like, no, no, it was dip. It was dip. It was not dip. Give me a fucking break. I don't know why Yankee fans want to defend this man. I know that he's been pitching well. I understand. But Domingo Herman, who has consistently been a cheater, Domingo Herman, who has domestic abuse charges against him, is not someone I want to back. And I don't understand that if he has a good outing, Yankee fans want to rally around him. I don't like him. I want him off the team. How are you, Jack? I'm good. How are you? I was going to say, like, good morning. Um, Yeah, I get it. Uh, Domingo Herman sucks as a guy, and it doesn't like it's not it's not fun to have somebody dinged for cheating and have somebody dinged for using an adhesive substance. And now we've got four guys that have been put on the naughty list when it comes to substance checks, and that's. Hector Santiago, then with the Seattle Mariners, Caleb Smith, then with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Max Scherzer, the future first ballot Hall of Famer, and Domingo Herman, who is a bona fide piece of shit. Now, Herman is different from the other three because he flat out sucks as a guy. Scherzer is different from the other three because he's great. And the other two, like that just kind of happened last year. So I found that really interesting. Um, Did you guys talk about the Buster only tweet. Cause I think I have my new favorite verbiage for quote unquote tipping pitches. There's an assumption on the Jays side that their pitchers catcher were betraying the identity of the forthcoming pitches last night. What kind of I did, book report was he writing? I talked about it on the mailbag with Aram as we started the show, but I did kind of miss you because I wanted you to read it in your sarcastic tone. So can you just kind of go over how you pictured that tweet coming into your head? Yeah, so for the YouTube crowd, I put 
all 10 of my fingers on the side of my head and started massaging my temples. And I read it aloud a couple of times when I was sitting by myself in my apartment. There's an assumption on the Jays side that their pitchers slash catcher were betraying the identity of the forthcoming pitches last night and that this was being conveyed to Aaron Judge. Are you kidding me? Just say he was tipping pitches. My other favorite, Tino Thomas is the top reply. Betraying the identity of forthcoming pitches or tipping pitches. You got a word minimum, like a high school essay. And Buster replies, he said, do you need text shorthand? LOL, OMG, does that make it easier? Are we really (laughs) trying to like shit on somebody for dumbing it down? This is what it is, tipping pitches. Like so many people know what tipping pitches means as opposed to betraying the identity of the forthcoming pitches. It's so funny. You and Arm literally had the exact same take. You went to that tweet, read the reply, then Buster Oldie's response. And I couldn't agree more because it is hilarious. But what isn't hilarious is Domingo Herman was caught cheating. Like, that is a story in Major League Baseball. And it's not like there's one thing to be caught cheating. Like, Max Scherzer was caught cheating or whatever happened, right? And then, you know, he fought to the death basically about it. He swore on his children's lives that he wasn't doing that thing. He explained everything. He doesn't have a past history of it. But Domingo Herman does have a past history of it. And I thought it was so fucking telling, Jack, when he didn't even debate it. He just went into the dugout. And then his comments afterwards was, I put my teammates in a really tough position. You keep putting your teammates in really tough positions every single time. Right? This is not, you know, fool me once, shame on you. I don't know how the saying goes. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, like, stop fooling me. Stop fooling us. Yankees, why do we keep backing this guy? I get it that he can throw a shutout once in a while. But he's not very good. And Severino is going to come back on Sunday to make his debut. I don't know why he's still pitching for the New York Yankees. This is my least favorite player in all of baseball. Maybe outside of Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, well, you got to remember that um, Rodon is still on the shelf and Montas is out for the year. So like they got to find starts. And do you want Davey Garcia starting games or Herman starting games? And like, I understand that Herman has character issues, but I'd Herman rather is- lose without Domingo Herman. But Herman is also pitched into the ninth, like baseball so, division there. I'd rather lose. I mean, okay. I, that's why I don't run the team, but I'd rather that's lose. Why, yeah, that's why you don't run the team. Like you've got this guy on the roster and, and here's the thing. Like, I agree with you. That guy sucks. Um, I thought it was really telling that he had no pushback at all and and he owned it right away. Um, I'm not sure what went into being as clear as that. Like there was discoloration on his pants. Like seriously, dude, if you're going to do something like at least have it be a clear substance, get, get creative with it. Um, Like, I don't know. I, I don't doubt that there are tons of pitchers, if not more than 50% of pitchers, in major league baseball that have figured out some sort of adhesive, whether it's rosin and sunscreen, whether it's rosin and cooking up a sweat, like, I don't know what it is, but I mean, dude, the fact that we've had this in place since mid 2021 and here we are, and there's only been four guys suspended that shows you that the ones that actually do care about being tricky with it and sneaky with it, aren't getting caught. All I ask is that you're smart. And and Domingo Herman, if we learned anything from this, it's that he's not smart. He is not smart. So real quick on the rough couple days for the Yankees, please God have this not be a rough couple days for the New York Yankees. This was a rough Tuesday night for Domingo Herman. What happened on Monday is not cheating. Tipping pitches, as long as you do not use tech, you are not cheating. That was a competitive advantage gained by the Yankees. Now, did I think Aaron Judge's thing about, you know, wanting to be a captain and hearing chirping from the dugout was just BS? Like, yes, absolutely. And I I found it weird that I understand why he would hide that they were tipping pitches. Um, But I thought that was a kind of like odd lie to, to tell to the media about like the reasoning that he was looking over. But if he's being relayed tipped pitches, that's not cheating. Like Not cheating. Point blank, not cheating. What they did was not cheating. I don't view Aaron Judge in a different light. I don't view the Yankees in a different light. The only person on the New York Yankees whose narrative should be affected this week is Domingo Herman. On a positive note, 
The Yankees are playing pretty damn well right now. They had a very competitive series against the Rays. And to speak about Aaron Judge for a second, he heard the cheater chants in the crowd coming in from the Blue Jays. And he went and hit a moonshot to quiet them down. Aaron Judge is not the cheater. Domingo Herman is. But the Yankees are starting to play much better baseball, which is finally happening because this season has been a disaster of ups and downs. And it's a disaster relative to expectations. We talk about that all the time. Like the Yankees, you know, were projected to win this division by most people. Now, we weren't one of those people. I thought I picked the Rays at plus 350 to win this division. We talked about it. You like the Blue Jays. Like we did not have the Yankees, but a lot of people did. And relative to expectations, this early stretch of baseball with everybody getting injured, with Harrison Bader not being back, he is back and he has been unbelievably good in a contract year like I thought he would be. I mean, he is such a good player, such a good center fielder, and he's he's just continuing offensively what he did in the playoffs last year. But the Yankees are playing better baseball right now, and it's against division rivals. So it's at least giving Yankee fans a glimpse into when this team is rolling, this is what it could look like. But it's a far cry away from the start that they had last season. But maybe they turn it around and have an incredible second half when they get Severino back, who will, be, again, be back on Sunday. When they get Carlos Rodon back, maybe they make a big trade at, trade at the deadline. But we go from one New York team that's on the way up to a New York team that is currently on the way down. We now welcome on Ryan Finkelstein to talk about his Mets. We welcome on Ryan Finkelstein, managing editor of JustBaseball.com. And he's now a reoccurring guest because we bring him on time to time to talk about the Mets when they're doing well. And unfortunately, this time we're bringing him on when the Mets are doing poorly because he is the host of Locked on Mets. That's why for all you watching on YouTube, you can see the Mets flag in his background. So I was speaking with Jack earlier today. And we were trying to think of things to talk about on the show. And I'm a man of honesty and I am a man of integrity. And if I send Jack a text, I want to read it to you because anything that I have in my phone, I want to include all the good people at just baseball, which you are. So I said to Jack, maybe we get Fink on today to talk about his fucking shitty ass, bum ass, terrible franchise Spend too much Mets. And Jack did heart the message. I don't know if I mean that. I was kind of joking. But my first question to you is, Ryan, do you believe what I said? Yeah. (laughs) Currently, yeah. I I mean, look, this team is playing as bad of baseball as any team. uh, Right up there with the Oakland Athletics over the last month here. And Steve Cohen is spending half a billion dollars on it. So, Based on your text and what's currently happening, yes, at this very moment. How are Mark you doing? Vientos is saving everyone, okay? How, how are you doing mentally? You okay? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm all good, man. You know, honestly, I'm I'm happy it's, it's early in the season because if this was going on in September, all of my listeners would have just tuned me out. Currently, yeah. I'm at a point where they're just so pissed off that they're tuning in to listen to me be mad. So it's working out for me right now. Uh, but yeah, if this continues for a little bit longer, I'm going to be getting uh, pretty anxious. Peter, do you have my reply to you? Um, all you did was you just hearted the message. I think um, I oh no, you, you did say you did follow up with something. Yeah, and you said, "Is Narc Vient loss gonna fix your poopy butt team?" So that's question number two. Is Narc Vient loss gonna fix your poopy butt team? Yes. <laughs> A hundred percent. Narc Vient loss is, is the answer clearly with a name like that. How could he not be? So I, I was joking. Um, and that was honestly as elementary as I can possibly say bad. Um, I wanted to find a creative way to do it. And I think that I did it in a pretty creative way. Uh, I yes. will say that I am pro Vientos. I think he's more Vient win than Vient loss. Um, but they're in a bad spot right now, Fink. And like, I say that not opening the floor to you in the sense of like, tell me why they're bad, but 
you know, we wait on Verlander and then he has that rough start in Detroit and he's been better since then. He totally has been better. But like, you know, the arc of Scherzer throughout this season, and this is the first time that we're talking to you in 2023 in regards to Scherzer and the arc of, you know, a couple of these other, you know, big time guys like what, two weeks into the season, Nimmo was the war leader and then he went Mm -hmm. invisible for a little bit. I mean, it feels like there's been a season condensed into six weeks to this point with the Mets. It's look, there's a lot of things to point to. David Peterson has made eight starts with the Mets. He has the worst ERA of any qualified pitcher. They're one in seven in David Peterson starts. Have you made some money on that, Peter? Is that why you're you're nodding? Have you been you've been fading some David Peterson? You know, you're my friend. I don't think it's worth talking about whether I fade or 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 tail him. I I let's just talk about the baseball aspect. But they're available on Dub Club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, no, you know, we're he's a nice guy, right? Yeah. Like a really good dude. You're upset when he goes to Syracuse because you want him to get more opportunities to succeed because you, you care about him. You know, he's in the same ballpark as a Madison Bumgarner, as a Patrick Corbin. Like, <laughs> yes. good guys. Are we sure Bumgarner's a good guy? <laughs> you know what? I'm trying to be as nice as humanly possible because we are about to rip on him for a minute. No, so. but I, I, I was just saying, so, you know, with, with like David Peterson, no one saw this coming. When Jose Quintana went down, we all thought, oh, they got Peterson. It's fine. That doesn't go your way. The the rotation has not had any continuity. I, I still think that's the biggest issue. And I also do believe that a Mark Fientos helps because you have a lineup where if Pete Alonso is cold for a little bit, the entire team stops hitting home runs because Alonso is the only guy you can trust to do that. So I, I think their best baseball is still ahead because it can't get much worse. But it, it is concerning. You certainly are not looking at this team and saying, oh, yeah, they're going to compete with the Braves this year. Right. I, I think that's getting to the point where it's almost off the table. So real quick, what Peter just did is my favorite bit from Titus and Tate. Are either of you guys college basketball? Pete, I know you kind of dabble in college hoops. Fink, are you a college hoops person? No, I'm not. So Titus and Tate is a podcast that was on The Ringer and then it was on Fox. And they had a thing called Good Guy and Bag Guy. And the bag guy, you know, obviously you dropped the bag like that was pre-NIL, you know, when, when you thought maybe there was some sneaky behavior going into the recruiting of a transfer or a high school player. But the good guy of the week segment on that is somebody that is probably on the hot seat, like a coach that's probably going to get fired. But everybody immediately says, like, oh, that's such a good guy. (laughs) Like, you know, hoping for the best for him. But he's terrible at his job right now. And that's what you just did with David Peterson. Let's have that out there. So uh, to follow up on that one a little bit, um, the Mets fans booed Justin Verlander. Mm Mm-hmm. When he was at home, and it's very early on in the season. So I made a point to talk about when Cardinals fans were booing their own team. And you never really see Cardinals fans do that. It was very out of the ordinary. It was completely justified, but at the same time, it's out of the ordinary. It's not out of the ordinary for Mets fans to boo their players when they're not playing well, but it is May And it's not like he's been the dumpster fire. It's not like he's been the reason. So what? speak for all of Mets Nation here, if you can. What do you think was the reasoning behind booing Justin Verlander? Mets fans are upset. Justin Verlander is making his home opener, not his home opener, but his first uh, start in front of the home fans. I think, all right, we finally got a chance to go to the ballpark and feel good. And he gives up six runs to the Rays. And so what else can they do other than boo? You know, and I think, you know, Justin Verlander kind of understands it comes with the territory. I don't think that he was shocked or, or like aghast that he got booed when he gave up six runs and a couple home runs to Isaac Paredes. But look, that's what's that's frustration boiling over. And if it wasn't him on the mound and it was Tyler McGill that gave the six runs, they would have booed him too. You know, I, I think it's just, it's a comment on the play lately, which has just been awful. I mean, what is it like? They're four of their last, or four and the last four and seventeen, the last twenty-one. I don't even know anymore. It's I thought it was brutal. pretty great. I thought it was pretty great. They split with the Nats. I mean, division yeah, right? rival. Like you take two, two. <laughs> you got to steal two in that series. It's a tough one, right, Jack? Yeah, it's a really tough one. Um, and and I appreciate we had a conversation. Uh, during our editorial meeting about Lane Thomas being really good and Alex <laughs> Call being a center fielder. And I he just runs him down, man. 
I went laser vision to fink. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what are we doing right now? Um, yeah, man. I mean, like Pete Alonso, here's the thing. Among players that haven't gone four for four in their only game at the major league level, Pete Alonso is the OPS leader on this team at 849. You expect Pete Alonso to be over 900. Nimmo's at 830. Nobody else is over 800. Hell, nobody else is over 750. You have two players with five or more at-bats with an OPS over 750. For the New York Mets, for as high as the payroll is, that's freaking unacceptable. Another highlight, because mm-hmm. like third among hitters, um, aside from Michael Perez, who went four for four with a double, which was kind of crazy. But Big game. Yeah, aside from Alonzo and Nimmo, Alonzo's at an 850 OPS, Nimmo's at an 830. Daniel Vogelbach is third with a 745 OPS. And another highlight from this editorial meeting that we had, I asked Fink to describe Daniel Vogelbach to me like I'm five. And pretty much what he said was, well, let him say, it. I want to hear, I want to hear his explanation. What did, what did you say? Well, here's the gist. And I want Fink to expand. He can't play defense. He can't hit lefties. He can't run the bases. <laughs> and like he's in the lineup all the time. Yeah. I said he needs a, a triple to score from first. Um <laughs> And he might not score on that triple. There might just be two guys standing on third base. No, it's, you know, he is is really good at one thing. He sees the ball against righties great. Walks 18% of the time against righties. It's amazing. But when he's hit eight wow. home runs in 300 plate appearances as a Met, okay? He's not okay. giving you any power. It's almost 10. And, and unless the bases are loaded, that walk isn't really moving the needle much. So, you know, as a Mets fan, I look at Mark Vientos and I say, give him those same plate appearances. I think he's probably hitting more than eight home runs and might move the needle a little bit more. So, yeah, and it's frustrating because you also look at Daniel Vogelback, like you just said, as much as I can argue that they should you know, cut bait with him and give those opportunities to a younger player. He's been the third best hitter on the Mets this year because yeah. Starling Marte has been terrible. Mark Hanna. Also been terrible. Francisco Lindor having a really rough time lately. Jeff McNeil hasn't even been himself. So yeah, when all of your veterans aren't playing well, shockingly enough, boys, you lose a lot of baseball games. Yeah, you do. And it just I, I'm shocked because you know, you're saying like Dan Vogelback, he gets a walk, like Tommy Pham isn't driving him in. I mean, that's <laughs> no. supposed to be the guy, right? No, but my real question is, um, the youngsters, right? We talk about Mark Vientos, and you know we rip on Fink when the Mets are bad, and we shower praise on him when the Mets are good. It's a fun segment that we do, and I'm enjoying this part of the segment right now as the Mets are in the trash can. I want to talk about the rookies. I want to talk about Francisco Alvarez and and Brett Beatty for a second. Francisco Alvarez has been the Mets' top prospect for a while now, even above a guy like Brett Beatty, and then Brett Beatty has come up. But the reality is that Francisco Alvarez... He's known for the bats. So you didn't think he was going to come up and be this all-world defender. But frankly, he has been kind of bad behind home plate. And he's got a 667 OPS. So I want to go through each rookie. And I want to hear kind of your perspective on them so far this season. And what maybe some improvements they have to make. Let's start with Francisco Alvarez. Well, okay. I don't know how much we take from these these catcher metrics. uh, But... But like you've watched him make many errors. Not, not really. To be honest, you may be tuned into a game. For what what I have seen, okay, is a guy that we are told because he's a stockier build, he's a catching prospect that he's going to struggle to hold his own, and he's done well. And his catch, his his framing has been among tops in the league. So the fact that he's receiving well enough, his blocking above average has been good. I don't know what to take from that. I have not seen him be a detriment behind the plate is the bottom line. I have not seen him be bad defensively. I've seen him be better than I anticipated. Offensively, I was concerned and early he struggled, but he's come around. He's not chasing as much. He's getting himself in better situations. He's made some boneheaded plays on the bases lately. He got backpicked with the bases loaded the other day. I guess day. That that's was like, I just keep, whenever I turn on a Mets game, I'm like, oh, there's another yeah. Francisco Alvarez mistake. I don't watch every Mets game like you do. I'm just yeah. saying of the 20 I've seen, I think 10 of them, he has either made a mistake on the base pass. There's been a bunt and he didn't make the throw or like something bad happened. But you're right. You look at the metrics and they're totally fine. And he still is so young. 
I guess that's why I wanted to ask you kind of your opinion after watching him all the time. Here's my thing on Francisco Alvarez. The alternatives right now for when Omar Narvaez gets hurt. So he was out and Tomas Nito had a vision problem. So he couldn't see the ball wasn't hitting at all. It wasn't even catching very well. Right. So he was their best option. But also, I think ultimately the best team the Mets have this year, if they reach whatever ceiling they have, it's with Francisco Alvarez behind the dish. That's going to be their best lineup. You know, he's the guy that can hit two home runs in a game like he did already. So I, I think that these growing pains are ultimately in the long run good. And he's not the reason that the Mets have been losing baseball games. So, uh, he might not be helping them much, but he's not the reason. So that's awesome. I, I think Epler said that um, Omar Narvaez is set to go out on a rehab yeah. assignment next week. You believe that the best version of the Mets lineup this year is with a 21-year-old Francisco Alvarez over Omar Narvaez, if Narvaez is fully healthy? Yes. I, I oh. think that I think that it, the, the best complete team you put together, especially if we're talking about offensively, would have Alvarez because he could be a game-changer with the bat. With that said, if Narvaez is healthy and they decide to go with Narvaez and Gary Sanchez – and option Alvarez back down to get more seasoning because they're trying to find something with their pitching staff. I would get that too, but I'm just saying the Mets eventually are going to be the best team when they have Alvarez, you know, realizing his potential at the big league level. So a follow-up to Alvarez is, you know, we talk about catching metrics and how sometimes they look like a puzzle. Like the, you know, they look like, you know, you can't even read them, but it's good to see him rank up there. But, I remember Jack and I, I think you were on it when we were talking about Francisco Alvarez, like moving forward this season as the starting catcher. We see in St. Louis how important the relationship was between Yadier Molina and the starting staff. And I'm not putting that on Francisco Alvarez. It would be insane for me to compare those two. But a guy like a James McCann or a Tomas Nito, guys like that have those relationships with these Mets starting pitchers. And there's just that trust there. So there's one thing about the metrics, but do you think the trust is there? Like, is there a reason every single Met starting pitcher has been a trash can? I think it's the same thing as it was with Contreras and the Cardinals. Like, these pitchers aren't executing. The the reason why the Met staff is not where it was last year is because they don't have Chris Bassett going every fifth day, being as consistent of a starting pitcher as you're going to find. They don't have Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker who, if nothing else, were veterans that were executing, even when they had some of their bad starts. You know, David Peterson is not struggling because Alvarez is back there. He's lost complete command of his pitches, and that's why he's struggling. You know, they've had to go to Tyler McGill, Joey Lucchese, Jose Budo, time and again because of the injuries. So I I think it's more of an injury and kind of talent issue with their starters right now than it is an Alvarez issue. I'm not pinning it on him because whenever Nito was behind the plate, they were pitching bad to him too. Yeah, I mean, it feels like an execution thing, right? And like, yeah. that's that's the word, and I, I mentioned it on the show in regards to the Cardinals conversation. Like, execution is so important from the starting rotation and you're not getting it. And it, again, it doesn't matter if like the pitcher whisperer Omar Narvaez is back there, right? Narvaez, obviously Yadier Molina was the gold standard. Maldonado is the active gold standard, but Narvaez is up there when it comes to the pitcher catcher dynamic. Don't think it matters with the guys that they're running out right now. Like, is he magically going to solve Kodai Senga's command issues? I don't think so. Do you Uh, think Kodai Senga is good? Loaded question. (laughs) I like, I watch him and I'm like, he's got a nasty ghost fork. Yeah, he's trying to figure out major league pitching like th- that's how I view it. I think yeah. how do you view it? I view it as a guy. You almost have to look at him as a rookie like he is a major league rookie. And what do rookie pitchers struggle with more often than not? Confidence in their stuff within the yeah. strike zone. I think point, that guy, but it's not funny, you know, like it's not it's not stupid and hilarious. Like that's the right answer, Jack. But for this right. segment, like, no, I need I need to be talks. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. like that was. You know, we're going to get to our next segment. We're actually going to talk baseball for this. Like, he sucks, and he's bad, and he'll never be good. That's fine. I could go to the term poopy butt again. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, that works. Fink, what do you think? Do you want to <laughs> you want to spew takes, or do you agree with my rational thinking? Just Yeah, just a, a poopy pitcher. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I liked your, your initial take on it, which I, I do think it's a confidence <laughs> issue. And I think there's been times where he kind of put some, a bunch of runners on, and we've seen him pitch out of some jams where he kind of 
can't overthink it anymore because there's nowhere to put guys and we yeah. see a better version of them. I think that, you know, there's still something there that, that he could be good, but yes, the, the, the walks are pretty alarming at this point. So only guy, you guys only have one. There have been 44 starts by Mets pitching so far. There is one guy who has started at least one game and has an ERA under four. Who is that? ERA started Jose Budo. Budo, only guy. Three appearances, two starts, 12 innings, four earned. That's a three ERA. Everybody Good else picture. is over four. You Tyler should... McGill is the best with more than two starts at a 402. And I'm pretty sure that Jose Budo in that limited time, I think his expected ERA was like over seven. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> don't think that Budo is going to save the season. So I want to go back to the rotation in a minute, but I want to stay on this rookie train <laughs> because the Mets are not led, but there's been a lot of really good young players going up to the Mets. We just talked about Francisco Alvarez. We're going to talk about Mark Vientos, but Brett Beatty is a guy who I don't want to make fun of because he is hitting the living piss out of the ball. He has a walk rate over 10%. I thought at the beginning of the season, I was like, he needs to be up. Aram said the same point. Jack said the same point. You said the same point. Like this should be the third baseman. He is the third baseman of the future, but the stats haven't necessarily been there yet like from an OPS standpoint he's like 720 or something it's not bad but it's just with, with the way he's hitting yeah ball hard you would expect way more so just what have you seen from Brett Beatty like provide some context to those stats on baseball savant the hard hit rate is high the walk rate is high but the results haven't been there yet like give us the context behind that I mean, lately he's gone through a little slump. It's his first slump, and the sample size is so small that it's kind of dragged the numbers down. But I, I still have seen a guy who has given really good at-bats. Like you say, he's hitting the ball hard. He homered yesterday. The thing that frustrates me is in a season like this where nothing's going right, I, I feel like you would just play Brett Beatty every day. Every and day. So when you have a kid come that out of a gonna slump. That was going to be my follow-up. That was going to be my follow-up. comes out of a slump. <laughs> yeah. He hits a home run yesterday. Like, oh, you're building towards something. And Buck Showalter decides, you know, we got to get Tommy Pham and Eduardo Escobar in the lineup against a lefty today. So we're going to bench Brett Beatty and Jeff McNeil. I, I get a little frustrated. Yes. That was yeah. going to be my follow-up. Why is Brett Beatty not playing every day? I get Showalter wants to do that. Also, what do you think of Showalter so far this year? I mean, not it's I always don't want to like, like with my show, I early on, I was the guy that would critique every bullpen decision, everything else. I've gone to the point where it's like, I, I don't think that it's really great to just point fingers at managers. And so I've tried not to do the buck this year. But today's lineup was the tipping point for me where that was going to be my follow up because <laughs> Eduardo Escobar is playing second base, which. Granted, part of that is because Billy Epler didn't want to give up on any of his you know, trades or signings. So instead of DFAing Tommy Pham, like he probably should have, he options the only other guy that can play the middle infield on his roster yeah. um, and Guillaume. So you don't have another second baseman. I guess they're going to play Escobar there. But you bat him second and Tommy Pham fifth, and you're committed to Alvarez and Vientos 8-9 in your lineup. Today was the day where I'm like, I think I'm going to have to rip up Showalter. Uh, you know, spoiler, if the Mets lose tonight, the title of my podcast tomorrow is going to be something about Buck Showalter. And I'm sure Mets fans are going to eat it up. Yeah. Um, I, I want to put you through an exercise. Like healthy Narvaez. So in a month, put together the best version of the New York Mets starting lineup for me, as you can. I don't need a batting order. Like, just give me like, who's the no, best. I want, a, I want a batting order. Let's do a batting, batting order. order. It's fun. Okay. 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 All right. So Brandon Nemo is yeah. obviously batting leadoff, playing center. Second uh, in the lineup would be Lindor at shortstop. Third, Jeff McNeil at second. Cleanup, Alonzo. Uh, fifth, Beatty at third. Okay. Sixth, they're probably going to stick with Starling Marte in right field. Yep. Uh, Vientos, seventh DH. Uh, eighth, probably Canna. And left. And left, and I would say Alvarez, Nervais, and I actually kind of like Alvarez in the nine hole because I think that he's getting a lot more. Uh, you know, the pitches are attacking him since he's got Nemo behind him, so I kind of like him there. Okay, yeah, I I think that is that's a lineup that can bring people to City Field, like can bring forty five thousand people to City Field, like it can yeah. fill it up, it can sell it out. 
um, especially when you've got a Verlander or Scherzer start day. So my overarching thought on them is I'm with you. Like the best days are ahead for the New York Mets this year, but it's it's so easy to shit on them when they've got a payroll over 300 million. So easy. It's so easy. Which and sucks. I feel like, I'm sorry. I'm I don't not. know if it's just me as a Mets <laughs> fan that's kind of stuck in the vortex, but it, it just feels like when it snowballs on the Mets more than any other franchise, it snowballs so yeah. much quicker and worse. It's just reminiscent of 2021 September for me. So when I tell you this is the worst feeling team that's three games under 500 in baseball, I mean it. Like I'm going to name some other teams that are three games under 500 or a little bit worse. Like the Cubs are four games under. Feel fine about the Chicago Cubs at this point. The Phillies are three games under. Nobody's slamming the panic button on the Phillies like they are with the New York Mets. I'm looking at San Francisco, three games under. You were expecting, you know, poor season. San Diego, I think you get close. They're four games under here. And yeah, this is also a team that we're, we're speaking about on this podcast too. Right, exactly. And then you've got, what, Cleveland is three games under as well. Obviously, there's some cause for concern. But again, like sound of the alarms, break the glass in case of emergency with the New York Mets. And I think the only team in that weird 500 murky water that you're also slamming the glass for right now is the San Diego Padres. So you are in rarefied air right now. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, because the Mets started 14 and seven too. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's, that's the thing is they started off pretty well and it's just been a disaster the last month here. All right. So, oh no, I was just going to ask a question about most disappointing players because <laughs> you go through the lineup and I keep saying, oh, well, the answer is Starling Marte. But the answer could be Max Scherzer. Who has been the most disappointing player on the New York Mets relative to expectations? I think probably because it's been the biggest issue overall is Scherzer. Because you expect him to lead the rotation. And even when he's been out there, it hasn't been good. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you can name, you know, everybody outside of Brandon Nimmo, uh, David Robertson, uh, Drew Smith, Adam Adovino, and Pete Alonzo, and there's been a level of disappointment, I think, kind of across the board. David Robertson's been good. Great, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Everyone was worried about Edwin Diaz. I, I really wasn't too concerned, and David Robertson's been fine. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. If they do maneuver their way into the postseason, what do you think the postseason for looks like? How are they getting to the postseason? So again, <laughs> there's a three lot of work. teams. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a postseason four. How are we going to get above 500? Jack? I know. Listen, a lot of work needs to be put in before then, but I think it's an interesting question, man. Like Quintana, are you banking on health by the end of the year? And are you banking on him getting his feet under him? Or are you looking at Tyler McGill starting game four of the NLDS? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think, look, at this point, um, if they figure it out, this is a team that might be trading for a starter, but you kind of know the three it's Verlander, Scherzer, Sanga, yeah. and you're wondering who the fourth is at this point this year, it's been McGill, but I'd be surprised if it holds my guess right now, gun to my head would be Carlos Carrasco figuring it out. Um, that'd be my so guess. We, we talk about, um, you know, slamming the panic button and realistically you should never slam the panic button on any team. On May 18th. You just can't. It's too early in the season. We're at a 162-game schedule. So, but at some point, nerves have to start. And I think the nerves are starting, right? What point in the season, like, you look at the schedule. You look how the team is playing. Like, let's say it's June 30th. What does the record have to be for the nerves to go away? Like, do you think, all right, we're going to trade for a big-time starter. Maybe that's Eduardo Rodriguez for the Tigers or, you know, some other guy, and we're going to get back reinforcements. And even if we're at 500 at that point, I still feel good about making the playoffs. Like, when is the panic button being pressed? At what point? What record? Just break it down for me. Well, I mean, if they keep playing the way they're playing and they start to dip, you know, 10 games under it, it's looking like that as we get towards the break. Yes. The thing about the wild card format now is the Mets are hovering around 500 with the team that they have. It's not like they could suddenly uh, sell off a bunch of pieces and not be a $500 million team. That's not into tax. I mean, they're going to be going for it this season, no matter what. So even if they're sitting at 500 at the end of July, 
they might add. So, you know, I don't really know when the panic buttons hit, but it's if they keep playing like this, if they can't get any consistency in their starting rotation for another month and suddenly they're 10 games under, yeah, I mean, it, the the panic button will be pressed and people are going to be pretty concerned. Okay, but let's say, all right, 10 games under 500. Yeah, you, you press the panic button. But let's say it's June 30th. Like, let's say they're at 500. How are you feeling then? It just depends on how they got there, honestly. Okay. And it's kind of a crappy answer. But if, if they are, are starting to win some series and figure out a little bit, if there's starting to, ge- to be some guys that are, are making some quality starts and you're finding – I mean, right now, every single game, it feels like the star is getting pulled in the fourth inning. And so when you have that consistently and poor Tommy Hunter at 37 has to throw 40 pitches every other day and just wear it. Uh, yeah. It's not a lot of fun to be a Mets fan watching these games and then have to come on and talk about it on a podcast. Although, you know, I, I, I asked for more of it coming on here today and I had Mark Viento stats pulled up. Cause I thought, Oh, they, they want to ask me about the top prospect that came up. And I wrote an article for just baseball.com today. And, you know, no, I, we can get I, into it. What are the stats? If you can, you know, no, I mean, no, can we talk? Can we talk about how bad Starling Marte has been first? Because we talked about I mean, Scherzer. Starling Marte has a 582 OPS. We he get it. Sucks. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, he's been bad. He hasn't Why? had an extra base hit. Isn't like, he supposed to be good? I thought he was good. He hurt his neck in like the second week of the season, and I think he played through it and hasn't been able to turn his head when he's hitting. I have no idea why he's this bad. I don't know. Why is Lindor been bad? Odd year. Odd year. Yeah. It's the opposite of Marcus Simeon. Well, Yoan Moncada, Lindor and Yoan. Yeah, no, Moncada has been great. So Moncada and Simeon are the same. Yeah. Um, think last one for me. Percentage chance that they ever catch Atlanta. Like, give me a percent chance that they find themselves at the top of the NL East. At this point, I give them like 2%. I, I, I'm looking, already looking at the wild card. I just don't see it this year. They're not going to the come thing. together to chase so, the Braves. They don't have to. They don't have to. Right. And and that's a nice thing. But you also saw what happened to the Mets in a wild card format last year. My thing is like, they're six and a half back of Atlanta right now. It feels like double or triple that with where the temperature is on the Mets. Like, what would you say the perceived games back is if the literal games back is six and a half? You feel like you're 10 back of the Braves right now? Yeah, it's double digits is what it feels like. Um, But again, look. If you get to a point where Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander look like themselves for a month and you get that level of pitching atop your rotation and the lineup starts to click a little bit, we could change our tune really quickly. But you are now on such a prolonged stretch of them playing bad. It's hard for me to sit here optimistically and say, yeah, I give them a 25% chance. I mean, it feels like there's no shot. Let's turn the page. Let's be optimistic. Because you did write an article about Mark Vientos on JustBaseball.com. It really was a great article, which I, you know, you got to go read it on JustBaseball.com, breaking down who Mark Vientos is, what he can do to help the New York Mets. We talked about him briefly on the last podcast. It was so funny. Aram, we did a quote card because, you know, we record the day before and Aram said, what else does Mark Vientos have to prove? He can help the Mets today. We post the quote card on Instagram. 30 minutes later, Jeff Passan, Mark Vientos has been called up. So Mark Vientos, let's yeah. hear it. Why are you so excited? Okay. So I, you know, this was, this was a good day for me until, you know, I, I came on this podcast 20 minutes ago. I was having, I was having a lot of fun today. Yeah. Mark Vientos. All right. I texted Arm yesterday, pull some numbers for me. And the things I asked him about is, you know, his, his drop in K rate this year. Um, I was wondering if there was a pitch that he wasn't identifying last year that he finally was seeing well. And I asked him, let me see the other one I had it for him. Cause it was pretty spot on with what I ended up getting back. So I texted arm yesterday, uh, near 10% drop in K rate. Is this him chasing less or is he hunting the zone better with two strikes zone contact up 5% chase rate down 5%. And then that pitch. So it was breaking balls last year. If you watched it, when he got up to the Mets, just throw sliders out of the zone. He's going to get himself out. Last year against breaking balls in AAA, he hit 150, 209 on base, 242 slug. And here's the big one. Strikeout rate of 37.2% on breaking balls. This year, that strikeout rate dropped to 21.4% in triple. Wow. Hitting 265, 355, or 357 on base, 
471 slug and the walk that's actually rate, that's elite against breaking balls i'm not against, even joking i'm not doing a bit right now that's dude, that's fantastic wait till i get to the to the fastball so the walk rate went from 6.2 percent last year to 14.3 so you see a clear correlation he's not getting himself out on those breaking balls and now he's seeing more fastballs last year he saw fastballs 40 percent of the time if you had mark vientos one and two you're throwing those sliders and he's eventually swinging through one now, if he's spitting on those pitches, now you got him three, two, what are you going to do? You're finally going to throw a fastball to him and he crushes fastballs. Last year, he hit 302 against fastballs, 408 on base, 562 slug, 11 home runs and 201 plate appearances. You think that's pretty good this year, 377 average, 462 slug eight or sorry, 462 on base, 844 slug and 10 home runs in 91 plate appearances. He was on pace for 45 home runs in AAA. So you're seeing a guy who is now able to attack his pitch more frequently. And I believe he's the best power hitter on this roster, not named Pete Alonzo. Wow. So you got wow. him up and we'll see what he can do. And what do you think? Like, you know, of course it's been not going too well for the New York Mets. And we saw with Brett Beatty, right? Like the OPS might not be there, but he's putting up good at bats. Through the first month of the season, you're not expecting 10 home runs. But like for Mets fans, what should their expectations be? Because you just rattled off some incredible stats. And he is going to be a good hitter in this league. But it might take a little while. So expectations for the first month. Because you and I both know Mets fans very well. And if Mark Vientos isn't on fire out of the gate... Some Mets fans who might not know him just might lose confidence because they're losing confidence in the whole team. They're like, oh, this other guy we heard so much about, now he's not doing well. But for Mets, rational Mets fans, what should the expectations be? So here's my one concern. He's starting tonight against a lefty. Yeah. But it's Buck Showalter. Are they going to make him a platoon bat? Because that's what I don't want to see. I think if he gets regular plate appearances, the power is going to come. But if he sits on ice for too long... That's an issue. And the one thing I'll say about the splits this year compared to last year, last year, Charlotte gets right-handed pitching. Now that he's identifying those breaking balls, 11 of his 13 home runs came against righties this year. The they got to play him every day. The other point that I want to make on those splits too is the batting average, while it drops 30 points against righties, guess what? He was still hitting 327 against right-handed pitching. So he was that good against lefties. He hit 357 in 13 games against lefties hit 327 in 37 games against righties, the OPS higher, just a little bit. But he slugged, he slugged in Syracuse a little bit more against right-handed pitching than he did left-handed pitching. And again, small sample, he was only there for five, six weeks. But Vientos like proved this year more than anything else that he can mash right-handed pitching because he's IDing these pitches. Exactly. Like I just said, 11 of the 13 home runs against righty. So to me, this is why I was hoping that you saw, I, I tweeted out today. Uh, it was a gif of uh, Peter from family guy and like the, the secret service coming up and beat him up. I was hoping that we'd see a Daniel Vogelback phantom. I stint today. Ooh, um, yeah. Because that would tell me, all right, we're going to see Vogel. We're going to see Vientos get some run here. That's my concern is that he's he, that Buck is going to be old school manager. He's starting against left-handed pitching. That's it. And the bat's going to cool off by the time he gets some run. But let's just say we see Vogelback hit the IL or they're like, all right, we're giving Vientos all the run possible in a perfect world. We're in a perfect world now. With the Mets, it's hard to be in a perfect world. But let's say we are in a perfect world. A month in, what are your expectations if he gets that run that we're talking about? My expectation is a guy that's going to be hitting more home runs than you're seeing from the other young kids that are up trying to figure themselves out the big leagues. I think he's the guy that is best suited to drive the ball out of the park among the prospects. I think Brett Beatty is best suited to face MLB pitching, but I think Mark Vientos is best suited to hit home runs. And right now this lineup needs home runs. Yep. Last question for me. I know I've had a lot of last questions, but last questions for me. And this is kind of the you know point of, of this segment, what is the biggest thing that you see on the Mets that needs to change? The number one thing. It's the starting pitching. Without a doubt in my mind, it is the starting pitching. If that, you know, corrects itself, 
I think that's going to ease a lot of the burden on these position players that are starting every game. There was a run where it was like seven games in a row where the Mets gave up a run in the first. So you're just always playing behind. And I, I think that's made the lineup press a little more. And I think the lineup is still really talented and will come around. It's just a matter of, can they get any consistency from that rotation? Anything else from you, Jack? I don't think so. This was good. I appreciate Fink's ability to face the, face the haters, face the haters, come out, you know, I don't know about stronger after the fact, but at least come out relatively unfaced. Dude, Did I've been a Mets yourself? fan. <laughs> yes. I'm 27. I've been at this for a long time. Uh, you know, my, my friends have been busting my balls about the Mets my entire life. So it is what it is. And we love you well, for it. And I had a blast. So thank I, you. I, I know you did. I Go check did. out. We put a link in the episode description for the article that Ryan wrote about Mark Vientos. It's an absolute must read for all Mets fans and just fans of baseball. Because this guy is going to be a popular player around the league because of that power. But it's not just the power. This guy's really developing into a great hitter. The sun will shine again on the New York Mets. Like, I even spoke on other podcasts before, like, when I'm asked about the New York Mets. And the bit is very different on other shows. Because I I think this guy is falling right now, and I do think they're going to be totally fine. The rotation is going to get healthier. Scherzer is not going to be a trash can. Verlander is still going to Verlander. Quintana is going to come back. I do think Senga is going to improve. And the offense, when it gets rolling, is still very good. That's why we had them making the playoffs, and I still think they have a very good shot at making the playoffs. Because you look around the league, we're going to talk about the Padres in a minute. They ain't doing shit either. Like, the Diamondbacks are are good, but I don't know if anyone's penciling them in into the wildcard conversation. The Central is wide open. And it's not like the Phillies are taking hold of anything or the Marlins. So the window is open for the New York Mets. And then if there is one team right now who I think will bounce back from this tough start, it is the New York Mets. So we had a bit. I had a ton of fun. I hope you did too. And Mets fans listening probably already turned it off because they're like, these guys are being assholes. But I hope you all enjoyed it. Ryan, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate you, my man. Of course. So that was fun, bashing on our guy, Ryan. Yeah, you know, it is, it's an interesting conversation with Fink because, like, he is, for for a diehard Mets fan and the host of Locked On Mets and, like, a really successful Mets guy, um, that team is his life during baseball season. And the fact that he can, like, wear it so well and articulate his thoughts even when under 300, again, feels like Rome has fallen – is really impressive. So I've got nothing but like a ton of respect for Fink in that regard, because I, I think if the Yankees were five games under 500 and you were literally, I know you watch close to every Yankee game, but like imagine living and dying by every pitch still. I, would if die. Somebody I, was I don't like, even think emotionally I couldn't handle it. Yeah. And, and imagine, you know, you're five <laughs> games under 500 and you're welcomed on a show and you're asked, Hey, the Yankees suck ass. Why? <laughs> Like, you would leave the Zoom. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, the restraint that he shows from not leaving the Zoom is commendable. That's why I love doing a national podcast where we get to talk about all teams and I get to watch teams everywhere and I get the Yankees on one screen and then a bunch of other teams on others because I can't fucking handle the Yankees. Right, and, and when the Yankees piss you off, you literally just turn to the other screen. Yeah, I'm just like, all right, let's watch Angels-Orioles today. Yep. Let's watch Brewers-Cardinals. Let's just get away from this franchise. So, tons of respect for Fink. Another reason why I respect Fink so much is he's always here. He's like what Carlos Beltran was of the New York Mets. Like Carlos Beltran, it almost pissed me off when he was on the Yankees. Like, hey, get excited, right? When things are good, we will come on Fink when they've won 30 in a row or whatever, even though I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But there has been points where the Mets are on fire. We welcome on Fink. We talk about it. But he's still never going crazy. Like he's still never, you know taking his parade around town and talking about how good the Mets are. It's very calculated. He's a baseball mind. You can tell it's a 162 game schedule and we got to see ups and downs and to Fink's credit and most Mets fans credit. There hasn't been a lot of ups, right? Like they've made a world series, but the last time they won a world series was what? 1986. Yeah, I think so. That was the last time. Once Upon a Time in Queens. Go check it out on uh, ESPN+. Plus. Still one of my favorite documentaries. 
But I want to talk about a guy who is very good. He's one of the best players on planet Earth, and he will go down as probably a top 10 player ever, maybe even higher. And he's going to get out of this, get out of this funk that he is in. But Mike Trout, in the month of May, has a 566 OPS. He is hitting 200. It's just a slump. I get it. But when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about on this podcast, I have the Orioles-Angels game on, and I've been basically watching this whole series because I think it's an awesome series. Like I really like watching these two teams play baseball. And I watch Angels games all the time, whether I have a bet on it or I just want to watch Shohei and Mike Trout play. Like They're incredibly entertaining. I host a podcast with Tucker Davidson. I love watching the Angels. Mike Trout has blue zones, Jack. Yeah. And the more I watch him, he has blue zones. And what a blue zone mean is when you look at the strike zone, and you know, we see it all the time on broadcast, you can see it on baseball savant. There are red zones. Like right down the middle, Mike Trout hits 500 or something like that. You know, low fastballs. Mike Trout hits them to the freaking moon. You cannot miss low. But pitchers are actively throwing in his blue zones and he is not hitting. And it almost seems like there are players around baseball. I think Jordan Alvarez, there is no real scouting report. I think Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, like they're in that kind of conversation of it's really hard to, you know, have a real scouting report against him. You kind of just have to throw your best pitches and wish for the best. But with Mike Trout, all you really need to do is throw the ball up and then throw him sliders away. And it has now been a consistent thing when I'm watching these Angels games. Like, he'll go off and he'll have 40 home runs in a month. And it doesn't even matter where you're throwing the ball. Yeah. But when he's bad, you can just do that simple equation and get him out. And the reason it perplexes me so much, Jack, is you are Mike Trout and you know they're doing that. And you still can't hit it. So I want to show you a couple of things here. All right. Uh, and this is from Baseball Savant. This is for the YouTube folk. And here's what I want to show you, because this are, this is literally the zones here. So I, you're seeing batted ball by zone. Um, I'm going to walk through audio-wise, and then I'll hold it up again while you make your next point. But Mike Trout sees a lot of pitches upstairs. He lays off a lot of pitches upstairs. The walk rate is always good for Trout. Like, it, it's never... Like he's going to, you know, walk 4% of the time over the course of a month. Like people are terrified of pitching to him. Understandably so. He's the modern day Mickey Mantle. You know, if he continues on this track and retires at 38, he's one of the greatest players of all time. But Mike Trout, up and middle. So if, if you split it into nine, if you split the zone into nine, I'm talking upper third, middle third. Seven batted ball events with an average EV of 100 miles an hour. So the ball's coming off the bat at 100 miles an hour, which is excellent. High and tight, ball's coming off the bat on average at 71 miles an hour. Off the zone, high and tight, coming off the bat at 69 miles an hour. Nice. But low and middle, 100 miles an hour. Middle, middle, 97. Middle and away, 97. Low and away, 89. Like everywhere is good except for high and tight. And what are pitchers doing? They're buzzing him with fastballs high and tight. I think that's what's happening in May. But your point, and then I, I've got a counterpoint to, to any struggle talk we have about Trout. And we texted through this. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to negate your worries, but I do have a theory about Mike Trout that I want to share. And that's more than fair. And what I also texted you is, I am not saying Mike Trout is over the hill. No shot in hell. What I am trying to point out is that what I tend to do is just, who's the best player alive? I mean, obviously it's Shohei now, but like besides him, who's number two? And it's always easy Mike Trout. It's just Mike Trout. But Mike Trout at this point in his career has these blue zones and he's not the elite defender anymore. So when I look at guys like Aaron Judge, when I look at guys like, you know, it's kind of the end of the list. And Mookie's up there too. I mean, it's still Mike Trout. But what I am saying is that this isn't the indestructible Mike Trout where it doesn't matter where you throw. He's going to be elite in center field no matter what. Like, it doesn't look like that. 
He's still going to be great. He's still going to get his 40 home runs. He's still going to hit 280. He's still going to be good defensively. What I am saying is this isn't the best player on planet Earth, no doubt about it, Mike Trout. It's the, all right, where is he in the top five? And that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm not being Max Kellerman saying, yeah, I think Brady kind of sucks now. And and then he wins the Super Bowl. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am just saying our immediately putting Mike Trout at number two and best players alive, I'm starting to reconsider that. Uh, Now, what I'll say is I, and this might be a baseball viewing flaw for me, but I literally turn a blind eye um, whenever Mike Trout struggles. And the reason I say that, and and like with DeGrom, I don't because DeGrom's biggest problem is a lack of availability. With Trout, like he's, he's established enough precedent. And I know that there's a ton of precedent with DeGrom, but it's like, it's nowhere close to the amount of precedent that, that Trout has matched. Do you remember in July or August last year when we were talking about an 0 for 20 stretch that Trout was having? And like, that was national news. Mm-hmm. What does he do? Like he rips a bomb after that. Like, and then it was boom, boom, boom. Trout is all the way back. OPS is exactly where it was before this rough stretch. Like that's what Mike Trout's done for a decade now. So that's my thing. Like, okay, he's had a cold two and a half weeks. Guess what? It's going to OPS 1200 for a two week stretch coming up very soon. And, and I've got no reason to believe that he won't because he's done it time and time again since he was 20 years old and and that's more than fair and i guess what i'm saying is we automatically called him the best player alive until shohei but shohei pitches and he's also fast did you know that yeah i know he's also yeah. Fast. no yeah Sho- shohei's fast yeah got you and we immediately put him a number two all i'm saying is the conversation for number two i think is open for debate when maybe before the season started or last season, it was absolutely no debate. That's my takeaway. Yeah. It's not very, it's not a hot take. I'm not on here to say it a hot no, take. No, no. I want to talk about a guy who is struggling. There are ways to get him out that have kind of carried over his entire career, but it looks more pressing right now. And and, and the just telling the audience. Is, yeah, for sure. And and I guess my counter argument to that is do you realize how hard it is to throw Mike Trout a fastball high and high and tight and land it for strikes and like bait him into swinging? I know, but they're doing it. But they're doing it. Yeah. So they're doing it over a two week stretch. Let's see him do it for a little bit longer than that. I think that's fair. Um, but when I yeah, when I look at his his splits currently, like he even ended April kind of on a sour note, even though April was still an amazing month for him. Yeah. But like Mike Trout, as we sit here today, is an 872 OPS, which is still great, but he's in the 25th percentile on K rate. He's in the 28th percentile on whiff rate. He's in the 40th percentile on outs above average, and he's in the 42nd percentile of outfielder jump. It just doesn't look like everything is red like we're used to with Mike Trout. That's it. Yeah, and you know I think outfielder jump and like outs above average are going to start to dwindle as he's on the other side of 30. Um, but offensively, I think that this guy, and we've talked about it, man, like Trout talking to Ken Griffey Jr. during the World Baseball Classic, that video that we got um, when you guys were on the field for BP, like this guy's always learning. And I think that he is going to develop into this unbelievable veteran hitter. Like you think about David Ortiz's maturation process at the end of his career, like this guy was the smartest version of David Ortiz at the plate in his final year. And he was in a thousand OPS guy in his final year. Pujols' body deteriorated. But like the fact that that guy with that physique was able to hit 20 plus homers last year and OPS over 800 last year is a testament to how ridiculously smart he is. Now I want you to think about how much more athletic Mike Trout still is and, and you know, give him these baseball hitting IQ points that, that veteran players typically get over the course of their career. Cause you see a hundred thousand pitches, like you're going to get smarter as you see those pitches. So I I think that this is part of the career development for Mike Trout. I think last year's cold stretch was part of the career development. And the fact that he's able to get out of it and still have this career OPS, like pretty much right at a thousand, 
is is a testament to how he snaps out of these slumps. And, you know, with with as poor as he's done over these two and a half weeks, you mentioned what, 566 OPS? Yes, it has been two weeks, but I think the reason why I elevated it more was with runners in scoring position, Yeah, even with a great April and that he's had this bad two-week stretch, with runners in scoring position, he's hitting under 200. He has an OPS below 700. Yeah. So it's like, yes, with no runners on or a runner on first base, he's been doing damage in April, but in May, he's been bad, and over the entire season, he hasn't been the run producer. He hasn't been, there's two outs, runner on second, you need a run. For he sure. hasn't been doing that. So it's a, it's a multiple things rather than just the tough May. It's like over the full season, run scoring position hasn't been there. I see the the way to get him out and then they keep doing it. And I'm like, all right, like there's there's something here. Yeah, no, I could. I guess I can see it. But again, final counter argument that I'll make is like, just be ready for the two week stretch where he hits 10 homers in 14 games. And I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it either. It's going to be amazing. And, and I still happen in June. <laughs> like that's going to happen in June. I agree. So yeah. that'll do it for this episode of the just baseball show. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed the best way to support the just baseball show is to get yourself some just baseball merch. And of course we are brought to you by bet MGM, the king of sports books use code JB fans. It's JB FANS wager $10 on any MLB money line and receive a hundred dollars in bonus bets. And the great part about it is BetMGM, they're starting to give out more bonus bets. So use that code once, get your $100 in bonus bets. Every Wednesday and Saturday, they are putting bonus bets of people who used our code. They're being nice to us, ladies and gentlemen. They're putting more bonus bets every Wednesday and Saturday in your account. So maybe you're a Cardinals fan listening to this and you want them to win the division. Maybe look at that. I'm not saying that that's the bet to make. We're going to keep making bets all season long. Again, if you could rate this podcast five stars, whether that be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Jack, we're almost at a thousand reviews, five star reviews on Spotify. Let's get once us. we get up to a thousand, we're going to do a big giveaway on social media. So we greatly appreciate that and you guys following along and listening. And with that, thank you, everybody. <laughs>